Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. My name is Mitch Michaels. We're joined now. I think this might be the uh, most guest appearances by anyone on the show. This is time number three with uh, the two-time major champion and uh, the cover of this week's, this month's tennis magazine. She, uh, it's been a couple of decades since her very first tennis magazine cover as a young child, but she's on the annual Academy issue as the official ambassador. Uh, welcome to the show yet again, Tracy Austin. Always great to talk to you, Mitch. Yeah, we won't, we won't have to get into the specifics of just how long ago it was since the last, this your first one. We can. That, that, there's a lot, there's a lot it, to discuss it, on it's that. It's out there, Mitch. Everybody knows. I mean, Joel Drucker wrote about it in the first line about how long ago it was. So, yeah, it's it's just a, it's a lifetime in tennis, uh, and you wear many hats. We're going to get into it, and maybe I mean, looking at the background there, if someone happens to like string a racket in the background, we're prepared. <laughs> yeah, I am uh, in the pro shop at La Quinta Hotel, so I tried to fancy it up a little bit so it looked more like a, a tennis background. But here we go. We're at Indian Wells. It's one of everybody's favorite tournaments, so it's very appropriate. Now, Indian Wells, we're going to talk current events before we get to the magazine cover and a little bit about yourself and, and that great feature by Joel Drucker. The Indian Wells tournament, we're back again. It's the right time of year. Uh, it's still kind of crazy, right? Two Indian Wells in five months. This is a lot of, a lot of tennis paradise coming at us. We're getting spoiled, yes. Uh, I think everybody is really breathing a sigh of relief that we're back to March this time of the year. It's one of the favorite tournaments for everybody, the players, the journalists, TV, you know, fans. I think they really enjoy coming out here. I see so many fans that make it a destination. They put it on their calendar. Um, you know, it's just a, a beautiful time of the year to be out here. The pros, I really appreciate it. There's so many places to stay, places to eat. They really feel like it's uh, tennis paradise. Yeah, and last year in the fall was great. It was, you know, great, uh, you know, improvisation in a lot of ways, try to make it happen and, and get it done. This just feels a little more natural coming out in the spring, this time in the calendar. A lot of great players in this event uh, and a lot of different ways we can start with. But I'm going to start with the men's side, and Rafael Nadal coming in with his best start of his career and what a career it's been, obviously, 15-0, and 0, three titles, Indian Wells and Acapulco, he's, he's riding that Acapulco train. And Tracy, it's not just that he's won, but it's how he's won and how he looks. Where would you assess his form? There's not really a lot to nitpick. He is just locked in, playing free, and playing some of the best tennis of his life. It's incredible that at 35, you can say he's playing some of the best tennis of his life. And that's coming off the back end of missing the last five months of last year. Didn't play after Washington, D.C. because of that foot injury that he says has been bothering him for years and he's just been able to manage it. He doesn't think that he's ever going to be able to make it just go away. 
uh, even a month and a half, a month into before the Australian Open, he was still trying to manage the pain. So then he gets COVID right before he goes down to Australia. I'm not sure his expectations were, you know, extremely, extremely high. Goes down two sets to love against Medvedev in the finals, who's playing incredible tennis. And now Medvedev has enough experience with the U.S. Open major under under his uh, belt. And you're thinking, okay, how is Nadal going to come back? And the warrior that he is, it was, I think, one of the best Grand Slam finals that we've seen. And uh, then for him to continue and just the joy, the passion that he's playing with, he seems extra appreciative because that injury, and I think was career threatening at the end of last year, especially at his age, his physicality and how long he's dealt with that. So it really is quite uh, an interesting, incredible start of the year. These guys, the big three, especially, I mean, they could walk away at any point. The accolades are amazing. And why are they still there? It's because they love tennis, not just loving winning as Rafa does, but he loves the process. He loves putting in the time, putting in the effort. And that's something you can relate to. Like he, you know, he even talked about his injury. The thing that he hates the most about it is he can't practice and train like he used to. It's just somebody that just loves the, the grind and the process of making himself into a champion. Yes, absolutely. You just get the feel that he loves the competition being on the court. And oftentimes that's difficult if you're not able to put in the hard yards in practice. So I think he's realized that he has to back off a little bit, maybe not practice quite as much. He said that his schedule, he's going to be more selective this year. You know, he was asked a couple of weeks ago about whether he's thinking about number one in the world again. He said, you know what, I'm going to play the tournaments that I can play that I feel that I can manage my foot and that injury. And if number one comes, it comes, but that's not his ultimate goal right now. Um, He just, he seems so process oriented. And I think journalists these days were into numbers. How, you know, he's at 21 now, how many more can he, can he get to, can he get to number one? Whereas Rafa, he's got the keys to joy in tennis is just getting up every day, competing as hard as he can and as best as he can that day. And for all the other players, that's the way I think to do it. Uh, it's it's hard to do because we're so much of the time we're thinking about rankings yeah. and prize money and where we're sitting as, as far as our confidence. But uh, Rafa seems to have mastered it. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've seen the video on Twitter that's circulating where he is interviewed. Like he treats every player like getting asked about them in his upcoming match like it's Federer in a, in a Grand Slam final. Like that's so much the, respect. the respect and the process. And he really does enjoy it. And speaking of Roger, I'm getting those flashbacks of Roger in 2017, same age as Rafa is now 35 years old, wins an improbable. Some would say going into the start of the year, Australian open, and then just has that free joyful, like approach to the game approach to life. And, you know, has that second, third, fourth act, whatever you want to call it. So there's some pretty stark comparisons there at their point in their careers. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think when you've won so much, when you've accomplished so much, um, I would think that there would have to be a feeling of, wow, this is all, this is all bonus and I'm enjoying it. Cause obviously, as you said, they could all put the racket down now, be considered in the conversation. That's what's so interesting is these three guys have won 61 majors <laughs> in their era. And what's even more incredible is the sustainability, the ability to play year after year at that same level. You see so many players, even on the women's side, we see this, this you know, fluctuation between weeks. And for those three guys to be out there for two decades, to have the motivation to fight off injuries, to be able to fend off 
these new ones that come up in every single era and they're still beating them back and to still have that determination to keep pushing themselves because every five years you know let's say you compare to the five years before everybody's better so you have to keep improving those three to do that for two decades is absolutely insane with a capital I and an exclamation point. Looking at Rafa just in this tournament, uh, getting the beneficiary of getting back into that top four range, which he wasn't at to, you know, getting going into this season, he gets, looks like Sebastian Corda could be who he's up against first. Dan Evans maybe is the seed there. So it, it's not, you know, it's not a bruising draw for him. We're going to get to why, you know, a certain section of this draw is open in a second, but We'll see how Nadal goes into these matches. Corda Nadal could be fun. I mean, I, I think that Sebastian, with his start of the year, with getting COVID and not being able to hit the ground running, is still trying to find his groove. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, we're getting into the micro of it. Yes, it's Nadal possibly against Corda or, or Kokonakis, who's a qualifier. Um, but you start to move out. There's no doubt in my mind that this top half of the draw is is heavy. Because mm. with Djokovic in the draw, but then having to pull out after the draw was made, you now have three of the top four ranked players that are in the draw all in that top half. So there's no doubt that that, that top half is heavy. As a player, all you can do is just look at the next round. You know, that's what's most important. It's, it's easy to get lost in the weeds of looking too far in advance. But, uh, you know, the balls here are get puffy. After about two games, they really get heavy. The courts are slow. They're gritty. The ball bounces high. The ball bounces through the air quickly, flies through the air quickly because of the desert air. So these seem to be good conditions for Rafa. He's won it three times. It's been a while. I think it's been eight years, eight, nine years now since he's won it. He, he stays at Larry Ellison's house with his 19-hole golf course out his front door. I think it's one of his favorite tournaments. Um you know, I think uh, Larry Ellison built a whole whole wing for his for his whole team. Yeah. So uh, Rafa is very happy to be out here and to be playing. And, and fifteen and zero, it's a great way to start the year. Yeah, three and zero, three times I should say, winning Indian Wells hasn't won Miami where the conditions aren't as great for his game uh, for for sure. No Djokovic, as as you alluded to, as you mentioned, uh, waited till. After the draw was announced, before the formal withdrawal, couldn't get access to the country. It's unfortunate we're not going to see him now, not in Miami and not until the clay court season. It just completely opens up this draw. Dimitrov, the 33rd player, gets his seed. And, you know, Rublev will be the big winner in this because that was supposed to be his quarter. Looking at it from just the tennis side of things and what we're, what we're trying to see here, it is unfortunate that it happened post-draw because there wasn't a, an ability to even things out. But... Those are, those are the breaks. Those are what happened. And uh, we'll just have to see if Grigor can take advantage of this opportunity. So are we going to just gloss right over <laughs> what happened? Or do we dig into that a little bit? We what can, do you think? Mitch? We can dig into it for sure. I mean, I've just, and, and it's not just to I avoid mean, the happened, conversation. It's, it's just yeah. unfortunate that yeah. all involved, mm -hmm. I'm going to go with that. You know, whether it's Djokovic, the ATP, Indian Wells, whoever. You're talking in terms of not having the official withdrawal, right? Until after the or draw. Until after mm -hmm. the draw. Because okay. it even, it, it, it affects even Zhao Sousa who was going to be the next player in if Djokovic pulled out, he wouldn't have been playing qualifying. So, right. you know, it just, it does make the draw a little bit more lopsided. It is, it is what it is, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, still to have all of I mean, Djokovic, heck, he's two and one for the year. He's only been able to play one tournament mm. and he won't play again, apparently, until till Monte Carlo. This is just a, such a, a crazy time, because when you think that he wasn't able to play in Australia and then that he was vying for this, his 21st major and it was Rafa who was able to play and get his 21st major. You know, I'm just I'm just going to stay right on the fence here and say it was Novak's opportunity to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. So um, it's just a, a crazy time uh, that, that we're going through right now. But we have plenty of huge <laughs> names. And I think it opens up that bottom half of the draw, as you said, because Dimitrov now is a 33 seed. He takes that draw and he takes that spot in that little portion. You've got Andy Murray, who's a wild card. Um, you've got Sinner. You've got Schwartzman, who Rublev, it would be the eighth seed. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. There's a, I think it's a little bit more open on that bottom, yeah. that bottom half to see who gets through. Yeah, I agree with that. And again, I do want to mention shout out to Andy Murray for making the announcement. He's going to donate his prize money, uh, for the oh. rest of the year, uh, to the, the rest Ukraine. of the year. It's not yeah. just this tournament. I know. So he, he seems to make so many right decisions, you know, whether it's hiring a woman coach, you know, the things that he seems to stand for, it, it seems mm -hmm. to be really positive. Yeah, and I just love the fact that he's not settled, not happy. He wants more. Like, he's not just doing this as the, I want to prove I'm back. He still wants to contend. The, the fire is still there. Yeah, and that's yeah. tough to uh, extinguish. If you're most, if you're a Grand Slam champion, if you've won, you know, three majors and two golds, that fire's got to be burning pretty bright in order to push yourself through all of the, you know, the twinges and some little nagging injuries and the ups and the downs. So and obviously the, the hip surgery. So yeah, without a doubt, the way that he's competing as an athlete, what you want to do is to be able to go out on your terms and not because of, because of an injury. So yeah, I, I love watching Andy compete the way that he thinks you can see how he's really dissecting the court, reading the court. Well, his opponent, he's fun to watch. Yeah. And he's proven that he's gotten back to that high level. I think the, the biggest thing, and you probably agree with this is the recovery into the next match. Like in one match in these tournaments, he's great. He's at that top 10 level. Okay. Play again after a heavy match. And you know, Australia, it was play. And then he won his match against Baz's Feely and then played Tara Daniel. And it's a lot more running. So that's, that's where I'm a little worried is a recovery after one great match. Well, the thing is, is that Andy doesn't have that one-two punch. You know, it's not the one huge serve and then the forehand that's going to finish the point. Andy's going to need three, four, five, six, seven, especially on the courts out here. I was watching him practice the other day. It's so accurate. It was fascinating to watch um, just the way that he hits with fluidity and so close to the lines. But you could tell that it's not going to be the same firepower as some of the others that are right at the top of the game. So that's going to take its toll. You know, a couple of hard matches in the second round or the third round or whatever it is and it, it starts to uh you know to wear you down introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com more with Tracy Austin here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, the number one seed, the number one player for the first time going into a tournament in his career, Daniil Medvedev. It still just sounds weird to say that we have a number one that's not in the big four, but I'll try to get used to it. Uh, he goes into this tournament as the top-ranked player in the world. 
And uh, I'll ask you this. Do you think he is in need of a big result? Does he have to maybe in his mind legitimize this? Does he have a problem maybe mentally with a guy like Rafael Nadal who seemed to have you know gotten the better of, of him in the last five sets they've played? Yeah, I can't, I can't get inside Medvedev's head, but if I'm Medvedev, I'm feeling like I totally deserve it. I mean, number one, you know, you put the numbers in the computer and it all spits out to where you are compared to everybody over the last 52 weeks, over the last 12 months. And I think Medvedev has had those enough success that he feels confident in himself. Obviously, he's now lost to Rafa those, the last two times. Uh, the one in Mexico was an outstanding match from Rafa. He played at such, a, at such an incredible level. It was, I think, the same day that Medvedev found out, or maybe it was the next day, it was, it was one or two days yeah. later, that Medvedev found out he was number one in the world, which is a pretty heavy moment. It could have been a lot of emotion, and also the war started. Um, so that was a lot for Medvedev to take in. But I clearly think that Medvedev deserves it and huge kudos to him because it's been what since 2004 that nobody named, you know, the big three plus Andy Murray, what hasn't been number one in the world. So to break in now, there have been some extenuating circumstances, Roger, obviously not playing and then Djokovic not being able to play in Australia, but I'm just going to go with it that, that Medvedev. Actually, when you think about it, there was team who had gotten to number three. There was Verev who had gotten to number three in the world. Sitsipas who had gotten to number three. And, you know, Medvedev kind of leapfrogged all of those guys and became number one in the world. So I think it's it's truly well-deserved. And I think those guys were starting to feel like, okay, is the lane opening? Yeah. Because had to be feeling for so many of the guys, say, in the late 20s, like that lane is, is just completely congested because – those, the big three are just not giving anything up. And now you have these younger guys, Sinner. Um, how about Alcaraz? I think oh. that guy's going to be number one <laughs> in the world. He's he's in that top portion uh, with Medvedev. And he's in a, a really – I was watching him practice the other day. He hits the daylights out of the ball and is so physical for yeah. someone young. And to have Juan Carlos Ferrero in his camp, former world number one, to help you with any of the – you know, kind of navigate – your way up the rankings with any questions that you might have, mm-hmm. uh, look for him. Very exciting time. Yeah. It, and Alcaraz still growing. It seems, I mean, how I'm still Where can growing. He grow more? I don't There's know. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> sure. Taller, stronger, everything. Uh, and just in regards to Medvedev, you touched on something I wanted you to expand on if possible, the heaviness of becoming number one in the world outside of, you know, tennis fans and even journalists and reporters, we kind of get this sense that, okay, it's all about Grand Slams, it's how, how many majors you win, that experience. But you hear certain players say that have been fortunate enough to work hard enough and get to number one in the world. That means just as much, if not more, to them, and you dream about being the best in your field. Did you have that in relation to the majors you won when you got to number one? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because I think the majors are even more top-heavy than they were back when I played because the French and the Australian weren't quite as big as, as Wimbledon and, and the U.S. Open. But I think, you know, it all depends. Getting that number one ranking for the first time is, for most, really something that yeah. is you, that you dream about. I think winning that first major also. I, I, yeah. I would think of them as, I it's don't like, know. It's on if par, I had to pick probably. one, it would be, it'd be winning a major, yeah. um, because that's tangible. That's something yeah. you can grab. You've got that trophy. 
But then after, if I had to win a second major or become world number mm. one, I would go with world number one. So I think they're both at the top of the list. The other thing that is kind of an emotional thing is to win a Davis Cup or a Fed Cup, which is now the Billie Jean King Cup for your country. So I think that's the trifecta for me that uh, is what you what you go for. You know, it, it's it's interesting because that, that number one is kind of, uh, you know, it's not as, as tangible, but when Medvedev's told by winning this match, you're going to become world number one, or it was actually Djokovic mm-hmm. losing the match, he would become world number one. Think about that moment because you're yeah. number one on the whole entire planet. I mean, Medvedev, that's, yeah. that's heady stuff. And it's something that he probably was dreaming of. And then as he said, it started to become a reality. There's a lot on the line and we've seen so many that have gotten to number two and with a win here, you get to number one or, or a loss and, and they haven't quite made it. So it was, uh, it's pretty cool. Getting that validation. You're the best in the world at what you do. It has to be a pretty special moment uh, before we. Yeah. There's so, there's so many oh. jobs that you do where there's not that number one. And this is, this is clear cut. Before we switch to the uh, women, any other thoughts in this draw? Some, some players that might emerge. You mentioned Alcaraz and everybody Loves that guy. Uh, Zverev's coming off of a rough couple weeks. What his form looks like that he's even in this event. Sitsipas, who's been kind of lurking a little bit under the radar. This is Rublev again. So there's a lot of options of some players that can make noise and make deep runs. Yeah, how about Taylor Fritz? He got to the semis here last year. So, but he's in, I like his draw overall. Um, there's so many players that's, I mean, Shapovalov, how is he going to come through with his game? He, he hits big enough to hit through these slower courts. Uh, you know, Riley Opelka, my goodness, his serve, that kick serve is going to be uh, <laughs> jumping court, so yeah. high up out of the strike zone. Cameron Norrie, he's defending a lot of points with as the champion last year. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm really excited because it, it does seem pretty open. And it hasn't always been that way in, in the last few years and pretty open on the men's and the women's side. Yeah. I mean, we've also got Nick Kyrgios in this event and if he wins a couple Me matches, too. he could play Casper Ruud who they're not, you know, there's no love lost there. So I, the storylines are there. there there's going to be some drama. It's not just going to be chalk. We know that with this tournament last year was a great example of that. And I think we need to mention for fans that don't follow it every single second is that Nick Kyrgios had to get a wild card. His ranking has dropped down. So um, he plays, he plays Sebastian Baez and it's, you know, Stevie Johnson and, and Sam Creary actually had to get a wild card. Mm. Their drank, their ranking has dropped outside the top 100. Mitch, I was talking to a guy, well, I'm not going to say a player okay. <laughs> earlier today, who's ranked, I'm going to make it a range between 80 and 120 or 30. And they were talking about how, just how hard it is to get into the top 100. And I thought it was really interesting because they were saying that you really need to make about 200, $250,000 just to break even, to have a coach come with yeah. you for all of your expenses and your coach's expenses. And that's the pressure that they're feeling to get inside that top 100 where you can get that big check, even if you lose in the first round for all four majors. I think sometimes we talk so much about the top players that we forget what, you know, 80 to 130 and those players are really going through just to try to make a living. 
Yeah, the grind is is very tough. I do think that there's been better steps made. The Challenger Tour, some tournaments here, and we'll see with the, with the rotating calendar with some events and places that we're not going to be having tennis again. Maybe that opens the door. So got to look at it positive. Uh, that's a good segue into. I just wanted to throw yeah. that in oh, there because perfect. I just thought it was you know something yeah. that we just don't talk about much, and it was yeah. just an hour ago that I talked to a player. Well, I think it's a perfect segue because the rankings are a little, I would say, out of whack and you see players getting wild card. The women's draw, the women's rankings, I mean, if you looked at them and you looked by name recognition, you'd say, how is this player ranked so low in a lot of cases? We have a first round matchup in this tournament of Naomi Osaka and Sloane Stevens, which is kind of insane. It's insane on the surface. Naomi's ranking has plummeted. I think a lot of it is, most of it is to not playing a lot of tennis in the last calendar year. Sloan wins her first title in a couple seasons as well, coming in with momentum and actually leads that head-to-head 2-0. So that is a barn burner right off the right off the start, and I'll be interested to see the form, particularly Naomi, after not having played since Australia. Yeah, and it will be interesting because, as you said, Naomi hasn't not played as much, but yet when she walks in the gates here at Indian Wells, this was a really big breakout tournament where she has these great emotions because you have anytime you have the memories of winning a title uh it gives you i think a little bit of extra boost of confidence you mentioned that sloan won the title in mexico a couple of weeks ago which was really important for her i did two or three of her matches down there and she clawed her way through some three setters Uh, it was a different level the players that she was playing down in mexico so it should be a, a jump up playing osaka but overall you know sloan I think where Sloan should be is easily back into the top 20, top 15. um, If she really gets her mind and digs her heels in Uh, and then Osaka, it is insane that she's, that she's ranked a dangerous floater with a capital D (laughs) and a capital F is is what you would call Naomi Osaka. It's crazy. And I, I felt that way. We felt that way about Sloan for the last couple of years too, as an underdog, as someone that's not the favorite quote unquote, the higher seed. Sloan is always as dangerous as it gets. Well, well you never know, in my opinion, what's going to, how Sloan is going to play. It's, it's so much in her hands. If she's really mentally invested and uh, she could win, you know, tournaments, she could w- get to the quarters of majors, get to the semis of majors again. Uh, so, so dangerous, the upside, the ceiling at 28, I'd still like to see Sloan make one huge run where she gets back to the top of the game. She has, the, she has the capability and the tools to do that. I'm fascinated with all women's tournaments, it seems, nowadays, but specifically this one. The top seed, Ash Barty not coming over, is going to stay in Australia. There's the Billie Jean King Cup tie coming up. She wants to stay committed to that and the travel, which is understandable. It was supposed to be Barbara Kuchikova, but she withdrew. Uh, so now you have Sabalenka as the de facto top seed remaining. And then Iga Svantec, who... I couldn't have been more impressed with her in the last tournament that she played. Her all-court game has been insane. So if Sabalenka is your top seed, who's, let's see what happens when she serves. It's one of the biggest roller coasters in tennis. We could be looking at another field where 20 to 30 women have reasonable chances to make a run and win this thing. Yeah, it just, that story of unpredictability on the WTA Tour continues. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head with, Sabalenka having those serving woes at the beginning of the year she's made one quarter so she got to the fourth round I believe it at the Australian Open but she's just six and five for the year so that's an incredibly mediocre record for somebody who's the the top seed here it's going to be depending on how confident she is coming in here whether she can work your 
work her way through the draw because each match that you play, you start to feel better with the conditions. And I will say, before I came in here, it was so windy out here, Mitch. There's days where it's just, it's brutal. Oh, that's to play. not good it's, for her. It's, Obviously it's on yeah. both sides uh, of the net, but you're not going to get your cleanest ball striking because it is so windy. We have days where it's really hot. We have nights are pretty cold. The ball flies more in the day when, when it's, when it's hotter. So every tournament has conditions. These might be a little more extreme sometimes with the wind. Um, but you know, Sviantek, you, you, as you mentioned, she looked so impressive, uh, winning that title a, a couple of weeks ago in the middle East, just the all court game, the athleticism seemed to be a little more calm, not quite as anxious on the court. These would seem to be good conditions for her. As I said, enough penetration through her shots, through her power shots, but she's got some good spin rotation on her shots that she can get the ball up high because the, the balls really grab. And they really get, they get, they use the movement. So, I mean, Contivate has had an incredible last seven months, won four titles last year, another title this year, but she hasn't had that big run. And well, she got to the finals of WTA finals last year, but you know, something like maybe winning Indian Wells, like Bedosa did last year, that would, that would put her more in the conversation uh, than she has been. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. More with Tracy Austin on Tennis Channel Inside In talking Indian Wells, uh, the women's singles draw. Paul Bedosa, the defending champ. Yeah, that's another one who this really catapulted her whole season. She's coming in locked in. A little tense energy because she just flat out said during tiebreak 10 she expects to be engaged in the next year. So <laughs> the pressure is on, but not on her. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, what was fun about that, Mitch is you saw the personalities was of amazing. these young ladies, right? Yeah. I wish we could see that side more often because there's so much on the line every time yeah. they're going out there, but you saw the interaction between each other seemed the warmth. I mean, Ange Jabur getting down there and being the photographer, uh, the fact She's that Bedosa put a lot of yeah. pressure on her boyfriend. And then she kind of even gave that look like I'm waiting. Um, so great yeah. personalities. Yes, they seem to be enjoying themselves. So Bedosa and Azarenka, how about that final last year? That that was uh, incredibly high level of tennis. And I think it just accentuates, Mitch, what you said is we have no idea. Coco Goff, I'm going to bring her name up because I thought she played has played very well uh, this year in spurts and particularly the last couple of tournaments, I've seen that her forehand is short up last year. Her forehand would break down. She'd hit it late. It wasn't accountable. It's a weapon now. Uh, you know, that's something maybe that's not as reliable as her backhand still a hundred percent, but the fact that she's driving through the court with that forehand side, her serve is much improved and she's still only 17. I think she's just about to turn 18. couple of days, but yeah. I, I'm liking what I'm seeing. Yeah, and she would get help in the third round. Help someone that's, we're still, no one's really talking about, seated outside the top 20, coming back from injury. It's a process. I think she's making good strides. I don't know if it's going to be this tournament, but 
I feel like she'll be back in the top 10 in no time. Uh, and then just someone else that you mentioned. Wait, hold on. You just yeah. kind of <laughs> kind of moved over that Halep and Goff in the third round. That's, I mean, yeah. that is exciting. That's, well, that's where we are with uh, with seeding, I think, especially. You know, if you don't yes. have those ranking points up, this is what will happen. These dangerous floaters. Yep, exactly. Pliskova was someone I wanted to mention because she's made the semis twice here, quarterfinals, another two sets of time. I feel like her style of game with conditions is kind of suited to do well here. She's at the seven range and has been pretty much, I think, seated in the top 10 for most of her like last decade. So she's somebody that's, I, I think, there as well. Pliskova, I think, is going to struggle because she mm. hasn't played because of injury. Mm -hmm. She hasn't played since the WTA finals. Are you talking Carolina Pliskova? Yeah. And no, yeah. That's, that's fair. I mean, I, we can. No, I think when yeah. you've been out that long, I think her expectations are going to be much lower. And, you know, you got to get that rust off. We know with Pushkova though, if she can get a couple rounds under her belt, the slower conditions, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's just, it's just, that's, that's the, yeah. the role of the dice, but I would much rather play say a Pushkova at the number seven seed than say a Muguruza at the number eight seed because Muguruza has been playing the last, you know, two, three months. I think the draw too is a little more favorable. No disrespect to the ladies in her path, but it isn't the Coco and Simona Halep, you know, yes. collision course there. Uh, Rada Kanyu's in there who plays Garcia and, you know, how Emma keeps going on this path of post-life-changing U.S. Open win is also something to consider. Caroline Garcia has been around the block, so she's going to bring her, you know, her A game, and it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, and I think so much of that game, uh, that match between Raducanu and Garcia is how they play. Garcia, I actually watched the match against Jastremska, uh last night, and she was up a set in a break, almost two breaks, and kind of got nervous, which is understandable. Every match is so valuable as far as regaining the, uh, the ranking that Caroline Garcia, she was ranked top five before. So she got a little bit tight. It was a topsy-turvy match. So that's an opportunity, I, I would think, if I'm Caroline Garcia against Raducanu because Raducanu hasn't won a ton of matches. She's got to be starting to feel the pressure of um, you know trying to get wins on the board. But we know what Raducanu can do. We know her highest level, winning 10 matches in a row at the U.S. Open. That's why we watch, though, is to see yeah. how – in these moments, the players are, are handling the pressure. It'll be fun to watch. I got to say my favorite section of this of this draw, mini little section, is that section five where you have Layla Fernandez, uh, Shelby Rogers, who beat Fernandez in this tournament last year, and Isimova's down there, and then Yelena Ostapenko, who is <laughs> in, when it's on, it's when it's on, it's on. It's incredible. She just randomly, I love how every couple years she just turns herself into the best player in the world. It's kind of nice. Who, Ostapenko? <laughs> yeah. It's been an incredible run. When yeah. she gets hot, it yeah. seems like the other player yeah. really is, is just along for the ride. And yeah. Ostapenko, she's, I like her toss better this year. Ostapenko's toss used to be out in the Pacific Ocean somewhere, and she was fishing for it. Right. It's a little bit better so that it's, it's more manageable. She's not going quite as big. She seems to be getting more first serves in. But once the point starts, she once she gets confidence behind those shots where she's going for the lines or two feet inside the lines, it's a it's a pretty much a roller coaster, and it's it's been a happy one for Ostapenko right now. Yeah, we'll have to do like a, like a storyboard of the funniest faces players make when they serve, and I think she's going to get you know maybe the cover or something. Uh, well, that's a good one. Yeah, or Garcia who looks up. She remembers how she <laughs> yeah. looks up when she serves, yeah. or or Sophia Kennan who's yeah. looking. Where does she look? I think she looks down. 
wild card as well. Sophia Kennan in this tournament had to because of where the ranking points went. So yes. another level to see. Uh, and then last player I wanted to mention, just to kind of segue into it, would you how would you think it would compare side by side when you were playing your workout routine and Maria Sakkari's? <laughs> Mitch, <laughs> um, different eras, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, hers is probably a little bit more t- intense. <laughs> yeah. She does have more muscles than yeah, I do. Right. Um, you know, I have total respect uh, for Maria Sakkari. The fact that uh, coming on. I think a little late. She seemed to be a late bloomer. Uh, you know, she wasn't one of the top juniors. I remember doing her match at, at Wimbledon for BBC and she took Venus Williams to three sets. Nobody had really heard of Sakari, but I thought, who is this girl? She's an incredible competitor. And every year she's just chipped away at it where she's was consistent, then started adding more firepower, obviously the strength, the athleticism, handling the nerves better. Uh, so she's, you know, smack dab in the middle of the 10 and top 10 so much respect for her she's a very tough out want to see her and Anz Jabor in the fourth round fun match a lot of personality a lot of flair different styles uh could be fun absolutely all right Tracy Austin joining us here it was a good primer for Indian Wells we're really going to enjoy the tennis but Tracy got to talk about yourself now because the magazine cover tennis magazine you're uh, you're the ambassador on their academy issue 55 years to the day of the first time you're ever on a magazine as a four-year-old uh, holding a four the racket year old. holding the racket and and here's the first thing because I always like to kind of do research on it I went back and looked do you know what the number one song in the world was when you were on that you know the billboard number one song was when you were on your first magazine cover I would have no idea I no mean idea. I wouldn't even know the artist you, you, you just think I'm gonna pull that no, out of my hat sure. okay artist was a band called the uh, the it was association his what association that's the name of the band? That's the name of the band. Oh, Mitch. You have to look up the song Windy by Association because that was oh, the number Wendy? That was the number one song in the world. So how does that how does that song go? Well, you know, oddly enough, I did I did jot something down here. Uh there's a line in there about how Wendy is this mythical figure girl or whatever, and she has wings to fly above the clouds. So I don't know if there was some destiny there as well. You know, I but feel like I know this song. If you would just sing the tune, Mitch, I might be able I don't, to help Yeah, you. they were they were kind of that '60s, you know. I don't want to say boy band, but acapella. My voice is a little deep for that, so we're gonna we're gonna say try not to get this show canceled. But you know, that was it's crazy. Just the first the process I wanted to ask you about. Shout out again to the team: Joel Drucker, Ed McGrogan, Jordan Sanford. What was the process like, you know, having the feature written about you, you know, going through the photo shoot of it. We, we saw those cool images being on Tennis Magazine right there. There it is. Perfect. Perfect framing there on that one. And uh, just if in that process you reflected about anything and a lifetime of tennis still going. Yeah, it, it was pretty special. I think the storyline overall was how, you know, the player that I was, but that I kind of left the game early and had to make those adjustments, had to kind of reinvent myself and do, go into the commentary, you know, go into being a mom. And now I have a, a player that's on the tour, a professional tour, Brandon Holt, who's, who's playing on the tour, um, working with corporations, making speeches. So I thought Joel Drucker, who we know is, is an excellent writer, did an interesting job of kind of breaking down all the different hats that I wear um, and writing about it, pulling people from all portions of, of my life to talk. I, it was a very generous pub, uh, letter to the publisher or letter from the publisher from Chrissy Everett at the beginning, um, at the beginning of the magazine. So 
Um, and this cover, what's funny, takes a long time. They, you <laughs> yeah. know, they got there at nine, they did makeup and hair and they take photos at your house with your dog, with your this, with your that. So many that aren't even in the magazine. Then we went to the Jack Kramer Tennis Club where my mom worked since really the day that I was born and took photos there. Jordan, uh, who, Jordan Ashley, who actually did the cover, the photog photographer who's very creative, she wanted the business suit I and see, yeah. the high heels. I don't think you ever played but, a match in that, I don't think. No, but. I think I get plantar fasciitis very quickly. <laughs> and But then she wanted the tennis balls for creative a pop of color, and then she wanted the, where is it, the, the US Open trophy. So it was just it was just kind of fun, and Jordan yeah. kept coming up with new new ideas. So we started at nine that day, worked until four, and then with Joel Drucker, we also worked on an instructional part of the of the magazine. And you know, I'm pretty particular, so we we worked for two or three hours to try to make it succinct and and really readable and and educational. So it's it's a lot of it's a long process, a lot of terrific people to come up with the ideas, a lot of people that I, that I have to thank. Yeah, it was a great article, as I keep saying, and just reading about your story and the different sections of your life in tennis. You know, I kept coming back to the fact that you almost, it almost seemed, Tracy, that you were like destined to be in this tennis world. The heights that you got were extraordinary. But do you ever think of the timing of it? Like you're born with all those older brothers and sisters, everybody in the tennis world. Your mom works at that Kramer club that just opens. Vic Braden's there. You have all these opportunities to, to succeed that you were able to kind of manifest into one of the best careers. Yeah, Mitch, I actually think about that all the time and I'm very appreciative because I think so many pieces of the puzzle have to come together. You know, that, that movie, Perfect Storm, I felt like it was a perfect storm. The fact that, as you said, my mom literally opened the club with Vic Braden and Jack Kramer two weeks after I was born. So 13 courts were available to me at all times once I started being able to walk, the, the fact that I had three older brothers and an older sister who played tennis, I was always watching them. I always wanted to be part of that. My mom working at the club six days a week in Southern California, where there's plenty of, of other kids to play that were really going for the same types of goals. Vic Braden, who was the wonderful coach who made it fun at the beginning, hitting balloons and doing relay races and then at seven he decided to leave and they brought in Robert Lansdorp who's this taskmaster good thing he didn't start with Robert because I wouldn't have liked <laughs> it but it was the perfect timing for somebody to come in who like Robert who taught Pete Sampras and Lindsay Davenport and Maria Sharapova and probably a hundred others that uh, made the professional tour he really wanted to perfect really good strokes he was he was hard on on me that was the kind of personality that I needed uh, so yeah, you're, you're exactly right. As far as so many elements that needed to come together, the biggest being the fact that I absolutely love tennis still to this day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, without that passion, you have to push yourself. You have to want it. I think there's a lot of parents that push from behind. You'll get only to a certain level. And after that, you have to be the one at the end of the day that says, you know what, I want to win on Saturday. So I'm going to go practice my serve for a few more minutes or, Hey, you know, Mr. Smith, can you play a set tomorrow? Because I want a little bit more so that I hope I win that tournament on the weekend. You were kind of like patient zero of this Southern California pro tennis boom that we started seeing. Cause you mentioned Sanfris, Lindsay Davenport, the names that followed after you and cite you as an inspiration. Uh, in, in looking at your career, one other thing I wanted to ask is where does that mixed doubles title with your brother, John uh -huh. at Wimbledon rank on your 
on your accomplishments in tennis. Wow. That, that, that makes me emotional because Mitch, that, that was never even in the dreams. That wasn't even mm-hmm. part of something that I thought was possible. Uh, I played my, with my brother, John, the year before at Wimbledon, just because I wanted some extra matches on that weird, awkward, unique surface of, of grass, which was worse back in the day where the ball really didn't bounce. And we didn't do that well. And I said, John, I really, you know, I didn't enjoy that. The guy's hitting balls at me, you know, in mixed doubles. They said, let's just try it one more time. Let's play this year. I said, okay, we'll play one more time. And to get through all of those matches and you look at some of the names that we beat, it was interesting that so many of the top players were playing mixed doubles back then because you needed to play a lot of, you know, three events in order to to make some money. I was playing it just to try to get some extra matches. So for us to win matches every night, go back with most of our family there and sit over our dinner and talk about, you know, the break points that we were able to save and then come through and win the title with a sibling. It's very, very special with both of our parents there. It's, uh, it's pretty special. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Few more things with Tracy Austin before we wrap up this episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, one of the other features and one of the other highlights in the article is you're getting into commentary. It's you know it's insane how long you've been doing this and starting kind of not from scratch, but just getting thrown right in there, getting the opportunity to call matches. And you said, you know, as former athletes, there's not much, there's nothing that can really replace playing the desire, the competition. But you said commentary is the closest thing it's obviously a part of what you've done and how you've kind of stayed relevant to the game is you're kind of still in the action as best you can be by calling these matches. I love dissecting a tennis match and it's not just the strategy. It's the physicality. It's the emotional, the mental part, all of those components that that come through and really are so important as to whether you're going to win or you're going to lose a match. And there's some, some, some tipping points in matches that I think are important to try to recognize and bring that to the fan as to what might be happening, the the strategic, the tactical changes that are happening. All of that fascinated me as a tennis player. I mean, Mitch, you know me, I'm not that big. I'm about five foot five. So I wasn't going to, well, I hit pretty hard from the baseline, but you know what I mean? I wasn't going to just rocket these serve. I had to work my points and think through my points, good shot selection, good mental toughness. And I think that really helps me in my commentary to recognize what's changing in a match. And that's, I feel like is what my job is to, to bring that to, to the fans as to what's changed from the first set to the second set. And I absolutely love it. I love sitting there, you know, in the trenches is what I call it and see how the ebbs and flows of a match and and what's going to make someone come through to victory. It's fun. Was there a point like, couple years maybe a couple months after you started getting into it where you can where you made that slow transition to considering yourself in your own mind a commentator because you have in the back of your mind I'm sure I'm a player I'm this I'm that and then you know you do it for enough and now you be you you view yourself maybe as that established commentator yeah I, you know I don't remember I, I, I 
like you said, I was thrown into it. I was the number two seed at Wimbledon and I think I was 21 and I got a stress fracture in my back. So I had to pull out NBC came and 21. said, would you like to call the two weeks for NBC? I thought, okay, I'm not going to be doing anything for eight weeks. Cause I've got the stress fracture in my back. Let's go for it. There's no school that you can go to for commentary. So you're thrown into it. Yeah. But like you said, I enjoy the game and uh, it, I feel very lucky that I had that other career that I could go to. It also kind of mentions the fact that your day still where you are, what you've accomplished, comfortable, but you still grind. Like there is a lot of, a lot of activities and obviously being a mother is part of that too, but it's teaching, it's commentating, it's motherly duties. It's getting on the court to play yourself you feel like you're built for that as well as an athlete, as a former tennis player, you know what it's like to accomplish a lot and, and still stay active. Multitask, Mitch. Come on, let's, <laughs> let's go. go. Let's go. I actually, I'm, I'm challenged by it all. The most important thing over the last 25 years was raising my three boys, making sure that I was Dylan, Brandon, and Sean, making sure that I was home uh, to, to be there. And without a doubt, that is my, actually could show you my badge my badge here that says that I am Tracy Austin, ATP player guest of Brandon Holt. This is my oh, wow. favorite <laughs> badge I've ever gotten in my career because Brandon played in the qualifying. Yeah, shout out he to lost him to as John well. Milman. Tough match. That's, that's a tough guy to play against. And tough. shout out to Brandon He's for, for putting it He doesn't it in. give you one free point. Yeah. So much respect. But that was always important. But you know, at the U.S. Open, I do the corporate stuff, which people don't even know that's going on in all of those suites. So it's corporations hiring players to come to their suites and dissect the match. I do it oftentimes with Andy Roddick and we'll go to nine different suites and talk about the tournament at the U.S. Open, what's happening in the matches. There's there's so much that, as you said, that I probably have about seven hats and I, I love them all. What's your favorite part about teaching, whether it's, you know, kids or doing some of these instructionals with adults? What do you, what do you still like? What do you still get the most out of as far as teaching goes? I did it this morning for an hour and a half. It's telling somebody one thing and triggering improvement. And you see that light bulb go off and they're like, wow, okay. And it really helps their game. It's a lot of fun to see, you know, people improve instantly. I love tennis. They love tennis. And if I can help them, it's a, a real joy. It's also a joy to help some kids that are, uh, you know, trying to make some great strides in their junior competition. If I can help them oftentimes mentally and the, the light bulb goes off to how to think more productively, how to think more positively, all of these things bring me joy when I, when I can help others. So it's, uh, I feel pretty fortunate. Yeah. And that kind of answered the question as well. You obviously still love tennis just as much as you did <laughs> when you started holding the racket for the first time that looked like it was just going to top you over on that first magazine cover. Yeah. Joe, if you came on Tuesdays and Thursdays at the Kramer club and saw our workout that we do, uh, you would see that I'm pretty intense still in a good way, a pretty you know, competitive, just love it. I feel very fortunate that I'm able to, to still play, uh, you know, at a high level. Um, and that's something that, Dentist appointments don't get involved in hair appointments. Don't get involved in don't mess with my tennis because <laughs> I still love it at a uh, hundred out of a hundred level. So last thing, this has been a great chat. Really, ha really happy to have you on Tracy. You know, I'm very grateful. Any, any chance I get to talk tennis with you, 
Would you consider yourself a tiger mom and just a, a crazy, one of those crazy tennis parents, or are you just more subdued, you know, when you watch your sons play, whether it's USC or at the pro level now? Yeah, I'm going to go with the middle okay. and I'll tell you why. I think in the beginning, I was leaning more towards tiger mom because I have such intensity. I'm a personality, but I realize that doesn't work with everybody. So I'm pretty proud of myself to, to reel myself in. It didn't happen in a day, Mitch. It probably didn't happen in a month, but I learned that not everybody feels the same way. And this is actually what I would tell tennis parents out there. And this is really important, I think, to listen to is that read what your kids are sending you. And you might have three different kids that feel three different ways about tennis. One's really intense and wants to be the top level. One enjoys it and wants to be go to high school tennis. And that's all they really care about. They enjoy hitting the ball. They enjoy the social aspect. You've got to read the room. And then you might have a kid in the middle that wants college tennis, but nothing more. So I think what I see in parents that, that can make mistakes is they mix up what they want for their kid to what their kid wants. And that's not going to produce you know, great feelings in the end. And at the end of the day, when they're 30 and 40, that's where we want a good relationship. So I, I think that... I hope I actually, I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm, I don't give myself kudos, but I'm pretty proud of myself for pulling back. Even the other night when Brandon was playing, I held my hands and my arms were <laughs> sore the next day from just holding my hands. Don't move, don't flinch, don't make any uh, facial expressions, just be supportive. And that's, that's really what your job is. So uh, I'm definitely not just chill out there, Mitch. Okay. When he played college, I had to sit like two seats, two courts over just so that I was out of sight line. Okay. But uh, I think all of those things, you know, is in life. We have to, you know, try to get them through yeah. and they're all different. And that's, that's really important to listen to what they're bringing to the table. Certainly Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. And it's, it's refreshing to hear that someone, you know, has that perspective. Uh, because when and admits that I wasn't perfect in the beginning, far from it. And I had a lot to learn. Other parents will see that and say, okay, she's made adjustments. I think we can as well. Uh, Tracy, this was great. I did fib. There's one other thing left. We try to, since you, you know, you've had such an interesting life and I try to just do more research and find one more interesting thing about you going in. So we'll end it with, a, with the trivia question I have for you. And that is because we talked last time and it was maybe my favorite part hearing you talk about going on the Johnny Carson show. <laughs> so 1977 you're on the johnny carson so i just want to know if you know who the other two guests were mitch you come up with these <laughs> you know number one song in 19 19- this one you were there like you were at you were in the you were in backstage area you were i on was the couch. 14 years old i was a nervous wreck <laughs> i probably wanted to say three words i think i giggled the whole time okay okay give me some hints okay here i'll i'll, I'll go with the big guest he is a big movie star no longer oh. with us anymore but a big well, movie star, a, lot, a big movie star in the black and white era, and was in one of the most iconic Christmas movies there ever was. Bing Crosby? No, oh, that's a good guess. Although I think that, that was in, darn good I think guess. that was in color, though. I'm not really sure, but I think oh. they did that in color. Uh, Christmas movie about a about a guy who is thinking about you know how bad it is in, in his own situation, and then you know gets kind of knocked up and has a dream. Jimmy about, Stewart. Yeah, there you go. Jimmy yes, Stewart. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Didn't didn't talk with Jimmy Stewart at all. Didn't, you know, talk shop a I little bit. I have no idea. I have no idea. You had the thing is is people will come up and say you did this, you did that. I think yeah. it was such a whirlwind. 
yeah. that I for, I've forgotten so much and I wish that I hadn't. It just highlights the, the the whole center of this is that that was when you were 14 years old. Like you were already thrust in the limelight then. We're still going strong and, you know, we'll, we'll have five more decades of magazine covers to talk about. Wait, Mitch, you, you're cheating me. Who was the other guest? The other guest? Oh, yeah. The other guest oh, was hint. a singer. Uh, I This one I don't really know and it's probably a little harder to get, but she was a singer, did some modeling and fashion stuff. So we, I can just tell you the answer because I don't think you're going to know it. Her name was Donna Theodore. Yep. I wouldn't yeah. have gotten that from now until, you know, I know. 19... Yeah, it's and that's only the first time I, I only I don't know who else what other you know what other appearances you were on as well. So uh, we'll have to well, save I some, like your research, Mitch. This is fun. We'll have to save some Tracy trivia for uh, next time because there's plenty okay. more. <laughs> there's plenty more. Uh, Tracy Austin, always a pleasure talking tennis with you. You know, have fun down in the desert covering Indian Wells and still doing your 10 different tasks. And uh, again, congrats on, uh, you know, Brandon for making it into the qualifying round and just doing a good job there and getting to practice with the other Brandon Nakashima, which I know you're very proud of as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mitch, always enjoy <laughs> to talk to you. You do a great job, great research. So uh, can I show one more time? Yeah, this one more time. This was pretty special. And I want to thank the people from Tennis Magazine that or excuse me, Tennis Channel that also own Tennis Magazine for coming up with this this idea. And for all you tennis fans out there, make sure that you read, read the uh, article uh, about all the instruction, but don't play in high heels because you'll get a bad foot. Start and there. An injury, maybe a possibly an ankle sprain. Okay. Lesson one, I'm going to leave my heels at home. Perfect. Leave, leave my helmet. <laughs> uh, Tracy Austin. Thank you again. Look forward to chatting soon. Hi, Mitch. Thanks so much. That was Tracy Austin on Tennis Channel Inside. And if you like the episode, we're on the Tennis Channel podcast. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. We'll be back next week. More coverage of Indian Wells. More guests with the top analysts, coaches, players in the game. For Tracy Austin, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week.